Well, good morning. I, my name is Trev. I'm uh, happy to be with you this morning. And I am really excited about uh, what I have seen in the text. And we're in a series um, called Right Now Counts Forever. And we, we think this is, is an important subject, period, but it seems like culturally this is as good a time as any to think about future things. Uh, for some of you, uh, you might say, I'm not much of a future thinker, but I would argue with you a little bit and say, I totally disagree. If you have made any plan ever, you have thought of the future, and you are a future thinker. Uh, that's because I think God, in, his, in, in the way he created us in his image, actually made us with his design. He's a future thinker. Uh, some of you will be very encouraged by the fact that God is a planner. He is a master planner. Um, he is not thwarted by anyone else's plans. You can't say that about your plans, but he can. And so I think it is, uh, it is a great delight to uh, bring God's word uh, for us this morning. And so I'm going to read the text, and then I'm, I'm going to ask God's spirit to help us. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to continue our study of that particular uh, book and chapter, moving toward the end. Uh, starting in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is the glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And for stars, differ from, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death 
is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I would argue the most important verse in this passage for us is in 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is appropriate on Father's Day to recognize how great of a Heavenly Father we do actually have. How everything good about our fathers is from our Heavenly Father. How everything that we understand uh, good about this world is from our Heavenly Father. Uh, we thank you, Father, for making a master plan that doesn't just provide us with salvation, but actually provides us with everything good you have ever designed for us. Thank you for designing salvation, which is a way to this. And we trust this morning that your Holy Spirit, a special gift from you on your Father's Day, is what will help us. So we ask your Holy Spirit to open our minds, to open our hearts to the great hope that you have described for us and want for us, Jesus, if only we would believe and trust in you. So give us the faith that we need today. In your precious name we pray, amen. I do want to, at Aaron's request, make a book recommendation uh, for you. Uh, some of the uh, best help that I've ever received on the subject of resurrection is by N.T. Wright. Uh, it's called Surprised by Hope, and I think that's exactly what it did for me when I read it. Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. Uh, one of the helpful things that I think is about this book and even recommending and talking about resurrection is that at Easter time you expect us to talk about resurrection. On June 18th, you do not expect resurrection uh, topic. And so it hits you a little bit from the side, which is good because maybe you'll be listening with different ears. And that, I think, has been helpful for me. Uh, let's start simply by saying what we hope to say week in and week out and that culture tells us to live like there's no tomorrow. You've heard that phrase. Maybe you live by that phrase or you think you live by that phrase. But what if your view of tomorrow is so compelling that it shapes your entire life today? What if your vision of the resurrection is so compelling that it both gives you the great hope that you need through your suffering, but also roots you deeply here and now. One of the biggest uh, pushbacks that I hear uh, from people when talking about the idea of, of heaven, resurrection, and, and, and you'll notice throughout the series, they all kind of blend in is, well, I, I don't want to think too much about heaven because it'll, it'll take me away from the here and now instead of rooting me here. That's false. Um, it, it doesn't work that way. For Paul, 
Specifically, that is not what we see in Corinthians. We do not see a man who talks about resurrection in such a way that he is ignorant of everything else. In fact, he says the crux of his argument is therefore keep working because it all matters. He says, do you think I would suffer through all of what I've suffered? And if you want to list It's in 2 Corinthians, that's his letter. Do you think I would suffer if I didn't think there was something better? Don't you really think I wanna just skip the line? Do you think I'd I'd just leave what I'm doing if there wasn't something to look forward to? And and if it didn't have an impact on today, do you think I'd be here right now? That's that's Paul's argument. And we need to hear that, that, that thinking heavenly actually for the Christian does not pull you away from this earth. It may just root you deeper. That's been my experience. And I want to show that this morning through uh, this particular part of the chapter, the last half, by, by talking about, first of all, what the bodily resurrection is, and it's distinguishing from just kind of the idea of afterlife or life after death. And then I want to talk about how this kind of works and then the implications of it in our lives today. And I'm all going to do this by 3 p.m., hopefully. <laughs> First of all, what resurrection is. Now, some of us, we, need to, we, we actually need to start with what it's not, right? Uh, what it's not, it's, it's not like in the Gospels where you see a person restored to life. Okay, so some of the times we we see in Mark chapter 9 in particular, Mark chapter 5, you see stories of uh, a young girl and you see Lazarus being, we would say, resurrected. I I would say this is more like resuscitation than anything else. Uh, Think of, uh, you know, when you get a, a, this this shows our budget, but a refurbished laptop, what do you get? You just get basically the, new, the, the, the version that was new. You don't get like a new and improved version of the laptop. You just get a laptop that's been made to look as though it's new again. That's not what resurrection is, okay? It's not refurbishment. There's a reason why in Isaiah we do not hear the refurbished creation. It's not just like your body comes back the same way or you just come back to life. Now, see, already you've probably been like, boy, I didn't even realize I thought that way, but that's kind of how I thought. It's, that's okay. Uh, that's, I, I'm, spe- I'm answering a lot of the questions that I have had. But what resurrection is is something so much greater. This is not simply a return to the life that you had because that right there is why some of you don't have hope in the resurrection. You're like, I don't want to come back the exact same way. Anyone like, oh yeah, I just want to live my life all over again. I talked to someone this morning, it's like, you know, I said, happy birthday. And it's like, uh, I kind of made a joke about a younger age because that's what you do and you don't want to offend someone. And so he, he said, I wish. And then he goes, wait, no, I don't wish. I, I, I don't want to be that young again. Right? And it's funny how when we're little, we want to be old. And when we're old, we want to be little. Because we're just never satisfied. When we're young, we want what we see as better. And when we're old, we want to, we want to have what we see as better. 
Resurrection of the body is the best. It's everything you've always wanted or imagined life to be like. You see, Paul uses a great example uh, from the plant world. Um, I have a secondary degree in plant life. I do not, actually. I called my older brother, who is a little bit more of an expert. I talked to him, and when I talked to him about how uh, bodily resurrection was working, he, he actually said, before he knew, <laughs> actually, that I was referring to seeds, he goes, oh, plant life's an excellent illustration of this. Um, what Paul is saying is it is in God's design for death to yield greater things. It is in the design of nature in and of itself. I talked to someone yesterday who said, do you think that it's just like an illustration from the world, or do you think God actually made plants like this so we could get this in our heads? And I think the latter. I think actually plant life is there because God's like, this is a little abstract for my people, and I would know because I created them. So I think I'll do plant life, and that way there will always be something that explains this physically in nature, so when we talk about resurrection, you go, that's amazing, that's perfect. And that's exactly what Paul says. He goes, some of you are asking, like, is, it, is the resurrection of the body a real thing? And he's like, have you not like opened your eyes and looked in nature? You don't see this? This is an agrarian culture, remember, and so telling someone who's a farmer how plants work is presumptuous, isn't it? They're like, yeah, I kinda know how this works. And here's how it works. You start with a seed. Actually, when I said, oh, okay, my older brother, I, I said, um, so you start with seeds, well, actually you have to back up a bit. So he said it's kind of a chicken or egg thing. Because actually in every seed is the previous DNA of whatever plant it was part of. Okay? Like DNA, as in all the information for a new plant is in a seed. Everything. Not only that, but there's uh, food and nutrients to get a plant going within that. And what's interesting is that sometimes, I've got to be careful here. If you were here last week, you know why. Um, sometimes... You test your seed out at the beginning of the planting season and you find out if they are respiring or not. That's what he said. Meaning, even when the seed, like even when the wheat is in a bin, it's alive. It's amazing. He said, you go test and see how much of the wheat in the bin is actually alive. It's ready to reproduce. But it can't do that unless it's buried first. That's when we, what we see the word sown in, in your text. Think buried. Now, immediately you should go, well, well that's kind of a close parallel to the, what baptism is described as. Uh-huh. We're getting this. That, that's why it's such a good image of what it means to become a Christian is that there's a burying process involved. And if you don't go through a burying process, you don't get a plant. That, that's how it works that seed will not germinate sitting there in the bin. You've got to put it in the ground. It, and once it's in the ground, it actually has to go through a dying process. 
And the shell of the seed, the carcass of the seed, if you will, uh, both nourishes the plant and inserts the DNA of the future pl- uh, of the plant into it. This little seed. It's like I, I, I remember seeing wheat fields and thinking, how does like all these little tiny wheat kernels become an entire field, beautiful field that waves in the wind? It, it's just gorgeous if you've ever seen it. How does that? It's, it's kind of magic, isn't it? Not magic maybe in, in the creepy sense that I'm talking about, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. It, it's, it's a mystery. Even farmers don't really get it. They're just like, we just enjoy it. But that seed nourishes the plant and, in, and it inserts its DNA and then it has to die. And what my brother said was, if that seed does not die, the plant will. In other words, you can't have both. You have to have the death of the seed in order to have the life of the plant. And if you don't have the death of the seed, you don't have the life of the plant. So there is a process in which a seed has to actually die, but then here's what's miraculous. There's kind of a continuity, discontinuity thing going on. There's a, there's a weird connection in that it, it always stays attached. But it, he, he said, it's, if you dig it up, and he does, he's, he's nerded out on this stuff, um, he was the valedictorian of his class, so I, I'm trusting him at least a little bit in, in what he's talking about. But that, that, he says it looks like an emaciated carcass. It's all shriveled up. And then he said something really profound yesterday when I called him and I said, get some clarification. He, I said, well, what's in that seed? And he says, everything that the plant can no longer use. Everything. In other words, nothing that the new plant needs is remained, and yet there's a connection. And Paul goes, you bozos, did you not look under the ground and understand how this works? You, don't, you think resurrection is this pie in the sky? Do you think this is a weird thing? He said, don't you understand? If you look throughout nature, everything has a design in it that's supposed to reflect its creator. And even the way plant life works is an illustration for us of what was promised through faith in Jesus Christ. That you don't just receive forgiveness of your sins, that you don't just receive salvation, but you actually receive the promise of the future kingdom life, which is the life that we should have lived right from the very beginning of creation in the garden, but better. So think of that. What happened in the garden was we said, we don't like the way your kingdom goes. We would rather sit on the throne than have you on the throne. And God said, you're making a mistake, but okay. And he gave us over to our desires, which we wanted to sit on the throne. And it didn't turn out so well. And we created this great problem, which is we now are killing ourselves with our decision. And we're missing out on the real gift of the kingdom to come. And God didn't sit there and say, I told you so. He said, I knew this would happen and I created a plan that if you will just but trust me with your faith, you can get it all back. Now, if that sounds like too good to be true, it should, but it is true. That's the gospel. 
That's how the gospel works. That's why the gospel is the shorthand word for good news. You see, this is actually what happens when we become Christians is we go through a spiritual death. That's what we basically ask you. Do you believe that your life as you know it has to die? When someone gets baptized and we say, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What we are saying is, do you believe in his, his death and his resurrection are now for you if you will give up your death and your, what you, whatever you think about your resurrection? And it's actually a wonderful picture. The baptismal tank that we have looks like a coffin. It's perfect. Because actually what we're reenacting is bodily resurrection. Someone goes down into the grave, but if you're a good pastor or a good baptizer, you don't leave them down there, do you? In fact, look at YouTube. You'll see some bad death in terms of baptisms. Well, you don't come up right away. It's not good. But good baptism is you come up, symbolizing what? This body is new, except this time it's clean, it's fresh, it's different, and it's the same. Now, why do you think we do baptisms publicly? Why would we ever do that privately? It doesn't even make sense. We do that because that's what we all believe when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is a picture of what life looks like. And that's what Paul is saying. He is saying, friends, can I encourage you? Death doesn't handicap anything. Everything that you believe about death being bad is false if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, death has been turned on its head or as the way Paul will say it, there's no sting anymore. Death is the last enemy that Jesus will defeat. Let me tell you a little bit about what Paul says, how it works. That's in verses 42 to 49. He uses these uh, opposites, right? He talks about being buried, then being raised, and the difference between the two. And so I'll, I'll walk you through these really, really fast. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown or buried is perishable. And what is raised is imperishable. What is buried is a body that is wasting away with decay. What is being raised is a body that is being renewed day by day. But better. It's a body, and some of you are like, hallelujah. It's a body where nothing goes wrong. Nothing. How many of you desperately want that today? Wouldn't that be great if, right? Watch a superhero movie. You know what they're about? They're about bodily resurrection, the immortal life. This is the dream everyone has. What is sown or what is buried is sown in dishonor. What is raised is glorious. What is sown is in weakness. How many of you feel weak in your body? It is raised in, in power. <laughs> Those are opposites, by the way. 
What is sown is a natural body. What is raised is a spiritual body. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to, to, to compare these two. And then he actually talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam is the first man. The last Adam is, is Jesus Christ. So he makes this comparison. The first Adam is a body like mine and yours. The last Adam is a, a new body and a new spirit. The first Adam was a man of dust who will return to dust. The last Adam is a man of heaven who will bring heaven here because this is the direction the Bible describes about God's kingdom is that if you look carefully in your scripture, you do not see a direction of the kingdom of God going this way. You see it going this way. I know that's possibly tough for some of us to dream of, but there is in Isaiah chapter 65 a description of the new heavens and the new earth. And some of us perhaps have been told that, well, everything's just getting obliterated and God's going to start new. But first of all, that doesn't sound like God to me because God never does that. He didn't even do that in the days of Noah. He, he left things behind in order to renew his creation, but, but it didn't work just starting over again. And Isaiah 65 talks very much about this renewed creation. And you say, well, renewed, new, sounds the same thing. It isn't. Um, how many of you have like a reclaimed wood table? Anyone? No one has reclaimed anything in their home. Anyone? No one wants to talk this morning. Okay, how expensive is reclaimed wood? Really good reclaimed wood. It's very expensive, isn't it? Why? Because it is the premium wood. Isn't that amazing? If you want the most expensive wood in the world, it's wood that has been around for a long, long time and it's been completely repurposed to look better than it originally did. So you and I, why do you think we like reclaimed wood? Why do you think we like reclaimed things? Do you know why? Because we are built for a reclaimed body. That's why. That's in our DNA. So everything about this world that is decaying, everything that is crumbling, everything that is sad, everything that is wrong about this world, one day, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, becomes reclaimed and even better than before. Now, that in and of itself is enough for me anyways to simply say, now that's something I could live for. Yes, this is what Paul is saying. That's what we're living for. We're living for God's best design of this world, but this future kingdom is only filled with people who have died to themselves died physically and come back to life because this is why this new world is so amazing. Your present body and spirit can't handle it the way it is. If you and I had to suddenly transport into God's new creation, we couldn't comprehend God's holiness. We couldn't comprehend God's goodness. We would actually have to have a body like 
I don't know, Jesus's resurrected body and spirit in order to actually handle the goodness of this kingdom. Which is why Paul has just said in the previous verses in this chapter, Jesus is important because he's the first fruits of this. He's the prototype of this. What we see in Jesus is what we're gonna get. And I talked about it a little bit last week. I said crazy things like Jesus has the ability to enjoy broiled fish and disappear at the same time, in the same body. That's because he has the perfect spirit and the perfect body. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. You and I have experienced the body of dust, the body of death, the body of the first Adam. And with the resurrection of the body, now we have the perfect spirit and the perfect body together in one being. And it's perfect for God's new kingdom. And we're going to do things like Jesus did. So if you grew up with the idea that heaven is going to be somehow boring, then you clearly haven't watched enough superhero movies. And you need to start watching some of them to maybe get your creative juices flowing. Like, what would a world look like if your workplace was filled with people who had no greed, who always got along, who loved each other, who always got paid with a proper uh, monetary, uh, whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about. They got paid well. Right. You never had a boss that took advantage of you. You never had a boss that forgot or missed any of the things you did. Wouldn't that be a glorious job finally? Wouldn't that change a lot of what your job right now is? Everything bad about your job, wouldn't that create the best job? What if our city was filled with only people who love Jesus, who only wanted to bring him glory and you didn't need to lock your doors because no one wanted to steal anything and neither did you? Wouldn't it be great if you could always spend time with people and never have those weird thoughts about I'm, I'm better than you or you're better than me? You see how you wouldn't act, the, the problem really isn't about uh, that person has a better job than I had because you'd never be jealous and they'd never be condescending. I, I hope you're starting to go, yeah, that would be kind of good, wouldn't it? Read it. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's saying. He's saying, this is yours. This is yours. Your resurrection body is made for this new creation. Jesus says it like this, exactly the same way. John chapter 12, verses 12, 24 to 26. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see how it unlocks that a bit and says to us, if you think this life is so great, the problem is it'll get taken from you eventually. But if you are willing to trust in Jesus Christ and say, as bad as this life is, this is the worst it's ever gonna get. My hope is in eternal resurrected body life. You actually get to keep it to the next one. 
This is awesome. Someone's asking, how's it going on Sunday? I was like, I can't wait to talk about this because this is actual hope. This changes everything you do. At least it should if you understand it. And this is why Jesus is so important because as the first fruits, he's not just the archetype, but he releases a quality of life, an immortal life that's not restricted by things like time and space. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Like, don't you just at some point want to time travel somehow? Isn't that, doesn't that sound at least interesting to you? What if? What if? What if that's what it looks like? Second Peter says, God doesn't measure time like we do. How is that? I don't know. What are you looking at me for? I don't know that stuff. It's probably the engineers in heaven who are going to explain it to me. Jesus is important because he shows us how he experienced things and, and what this looked like. But not only that, he's important because he is also not just the first fruits. He is the giver of everything he has earned to me and to you. It's miraculous, friends. It's actual good news. You know, everything that's going on about climate control today, what I find so interesting, it's, it's, it's almost more future than many of the Christians that I know. Because it's, it's really all about taking care of a, of a planet for those who come behind them. But as Christians, we're like, well, well we're actually going to be here. So if there's anyone who should care about how things go on the earth, it should be us. And I'm not making a statement about climate control. I am making a statement about what we actually care about. Because too many of us have just tuned out. Our jobs are just money to get us through life, to get us to coming back to this redeemed creation where we're actually going to do the same stuff, but with a renewed body and a renewed spirit. It's going to be totally radically different. It's going to be better. It's going to be so much better than you can imagine. It's actually, as Paul described, a mystery. A mystery that has been unlocked for us. And that is the implications of this as we close this off. That death and resurrection is actually a mystery revealed. It's not a mystery as in it remains a mystery. It's a mystery that was a mystery for a long, long time and then it's revealed. Who likes magic tricks? Anyone here? Who has ever watched Penn and Teller? I love watching Penn and Teller. I love the way Penn talks and Peller, Kel, Teller, Teller, Keller, Teller. Penn and Keller, I think, is the new Christian evangelical magic act show, apparently. Um, I, I love the way they do tricks. And they, they do this one called the Cups and Balls. And, and they, they talk about this. If you've ever seen Cups and Balls, you know that it's done with cups that you can't see through. And the, the cool thing is, is they're like, we're going to do this the way you never imagined it ever done. And they do the cups and balls trick with clear glass cups. And you see where the ball goes and where it doesn't go. And I tell you, it's almost more magical than the actual trick. It is so cool. You're like, this is stunning how you do this. You've made it appear like this when in reality it's it seems simple for you. I think this is what the resurrected body looks like. The, the, the veil is taken off. The, there's clear glass and we'll see all oh, this mystery is amazing. 
This is, this is, this is the coolest thing ever. It makes you just want to tell someone. The implications of this is that death is not the end for us as we believe in Jesus Christ. It is only the beginning. You see how death doesn't become something that we have to fear in such a way as, as I don't want it to happen. We can actually say, oh, oh death just really kickstart the good part of this. But the thing about resurrection is that you, you have to actually experience death to experience life. It flips it. I mean, COVID is a giant, a, a giant experiment in avoiding death. But if this is true, then we should have been able to say, it doesn't really matter what happens to us. What's coming is better anyways. You see how it changes today. The implication is that death will change us into what we had always hoped we would be. Do you have dreams about your life that have been smashed by the reality of your suffering? I know, have you been alive for longer than three seconds? You've probably experienced this, right? Ask any three-year-old. Their life is a travesty. <laughs> Everything's gone wrong so far. Everyone's against them. No one gives them what they want. Like, from the very young age, your plans are smashed over and over and over again. Your dreams are crushed. And then you get older, and some of you have real good dreams, and they still get crushed. You have hopes. One of my hopes was that I would see my brother in old age, and that was crushed. And I hated every second of what I watched him go through. And there are days that are not easy, friends. There are days I deeply miss him, but you know what? This changes everything. If this is true, my brother's life was not cut short. It just started. And I'm a little jealous, actually, because he always goes first. <laughs> Ever since he was little, he's always had to be in the know. And the day he died, I just smiled and I went, same old, same old, hey, Rod? You get to see him first. But this time, I knew that there was something else going on that God wanted to help me to understand because I needed this as much as anyone did. Because there is very little, when you experience death, when you think about death, when you watch death, when you watch suffering like this, there is very little that can comfort you but the hope that this is just the beginning. We may have all of the suffering that everyone else in the world has, but as Christians, we have tools that no one else does. This is a promise that doesn't show up in other religions, just so you know if you're brand new to the faith. This is a promise for those who believe in the first fruits of the resurrection of the body. And so if you ask Paul, is the resurrection important? He's like, oh my goodness, we have been over this, you guys. This is not just important, this is it. This is everything. This changes everything. Even though it doesn't take away some of your temporary pain. Even though there are grueling suffering things you have to go to. But as a Christian, what changes is that now every suffering that you go through, no matter what is, is the worst it's ever gonna be for you. Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't that a helpful thought to know that no matter how bad it gets for you, that's the worst it's ever going to be? And actually, sometimes I wonder about the idea that because of the suffering, the next life's going to be that much greater. You know, what makes Christmas so great is not opening gifts. It's the waiting, isn't it? And the longer you have to wait, the better that day is, isn't it? And this is what Paul is talking about. This is the hope that roots every one of us. Death is transformed from missing out to gaining everything. This changes death from it having no real power over us to being something we might actually one day anticipate. I mean, how nuts is that? That you can say, I, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, but I'm actually looking forward to when this is all over. I mean, that'll just shock your coworkers. I can guarantee you that. It'll change your schedule because it'll just alleviate some of the anxiety that you feel. And bodily death and resurrection give us the proper incentive to invest in our life as a seed. That's how Paul ends this. That's why we titled this, Your work today matters forever because Paul says, because the resurrection is true, friends, let's link arms and not give up together, hey? Some of you do uh, a a job where, where people don't watch you all day and you have a choice in that job as to whether to do your job right, even when someone isn't looking, or to skate as we will, to to steal time, so to speak. And some of you might be tempted to do that because you're like, man, there's some things that I do that are the right thing to do, but nobody sees them, no one gives me credit for them, no one even notices, what does it even matter? I've done that. The right way and the wrong way. I've not cared enough. But Paul, what Paul is saying is you work for a king where everything done in the name of the Lord does not get missed. That's your boss. Now, can you imagine if nothing in your life was useless if it was done in the name of the Lord? Every email you send for Jesus, every text you respond to for Jesus, every phone call, every coffee, every conversation, every question asked, every kind nod on the deer foot, go in front of me because Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that's not even missed. Nothing is missed by this king. Suddenly it brings different purpose, different incentive, different motivation, different hope then perhaps you've thought about. It doesn't pull you away from what's going on here. It roots you and makes sense of everything that's going on. Because you and I, if we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we are promised all of this through our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is what it says. And I'll call the team as I close. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And Revelation describes that city as coming from heaven to earth. Where you're going to get to build this earth as God originally intended you and I to do it. But with the most amazing spiritual and physical renewed, reclaimed body that we can ever imagine. Friends, you got to admit, you, even, you at least want this to be true, don't you? You at least want to read more about it. You want, you want to seek that. I know you do, and so do I. So let's pray and seek it together. So Jesus, I, there are days when I am mystified at your goodness, that I don't understand why the very thing that we should receive punishment for, which is death for our sins, is the very portal by which we gain everything that you have mercifully given to us. But oh, we need this hope, Jesus. Oh, we need it. Some of us today are suffering so badly. We're ready to give up everything for what won't give us hope. So Jesus... Help us to give up everything so that we can get your hope. Help your, we ask for your spirit to open our eyes to this goodness because so many of us have shut our eyes thinking it's not possible. We need your supernatural spirit to show us that death is not our worst enemy if we trust in you, but actually can become the very reason why we gain everything. It's going to take a miracle, Jesus, so that's what we're asking for. And so we do that in your name and for your glory. Amen.